And behold, a lawyer stood to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, You shall love the Lord God with all your heart with all and all your soul and with all your strength and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. That question comes up a few times in different ways in the ministry of Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And we're going to look at that from Luke chapter 18, uh, starting in verse 15 is where we'll start at today. So you can go ahead and turn there. But before we get into that, I want to uh, remind everybody that this is Life Group Sunday. And so Life Groups are meeting in, in homes or here in the building afterwards to share a meal and to talk about what did the lesson here, how do I apply this, and how can I, I put this into practice. And so everyone is welcome to participate in those. If you don't have a life group to go to, uh, Rob Robinson right here, you can talk with him, or uh, if someone invites you, just jump in and go. Um, and also, I wanted to, to, I have a confession to make. Okay, last week, we talked about uh, new beginnings on Sunday morning because we were excited about the new year that was, that was coming, and, and God is a God of new beginnings, and and when I started off the, the lesson, I had this microphone on, and it had a red light on it right there, and it wasn't working. And the tech guys, you could see them back there scrambling around trying to get stuff ready to go and all that. And I said, usually when th- something techy goes wrong, it's usually my fault in this context, but it wasn't this time because the red light is on. And uh, afterwards, uh, Delbert came up to me and said, Chris... Uh, the microphone that you grabbed was the microphone that we used for class over in that area. And so I said, oh, it was my fault then. He said, I didn't say that. I said, no, that's exactly the case. It is absolutely, totally was my fault. And so Del- I told Delbert I was going to tell everybody. He said, no, no, you don't need to do that. I said, yes, I do. I'm going to. So it was totally my fault last week that the microphone did not work. But it looks like I grabbed the right one this time. In fact, I asked to make sure that I had exactly the right microphone. So going into uh, to Luke chapter 18... We'll continue on here. We've been going through the book of Luke, and we're going to take probably about another month and a half or so to be able to finish up Luke. And, and then we'll go into just some other things, and we'll talk about that later. But uh, Jesus is faced with, as he is on his way to Jerusalem, he comes nose to nose with someone who asks a question says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Sometimes with questions, we beat around the bush because we're not sure if we really want the answer. But this guy apparently really wants the answer from Jesus, probably because he's pretty sure about his own spiritual well-being. And so he asked this question, because if, if we're not sure about our spiritual well-being and we don't want to know, we don't ask this question. But this guy comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And right before that, in verse 15, let's take a look here. It says that people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. And so this is, was a, a practice that was, that was somewhat common, is a rabbi or a teacher uh, that was well-known. Parents would bring their children to the, this rabbi to, for him to bless them, to pray over them, and that. And so they're showing a great deal of honor for Jesus. But the the disciples are saying, no, 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 wait, give him space, give him space, because the rabbi, this rabbi, is a big shot, and the children can't come close to him, can't touch him. Okay, so we understand, how many of you have been around someone, have, have seen a U.S. president or someone powerful like that? 
Okay? I've seen a few different people that have been very powerful. And there is no way on earth that me was going to get anywhere near where that person was. Because I'm not good enough, I'm not great enough to be able to go and touch or get close to that person. And so here you have people bringing children who are the least in the society, bringing children, the very least, to come to this great important teacher that the disciples understood was going to be the great Messiah. And, and his disciples jump in. You can imagine them jumping in and say, no, 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 nothing to see here. Leave the teacher alone. Give space. And they put up this, this, corrective, or this prim, protective perimeter around Jesus. And Jesus steps in here, and this is what he says. Jesus said, Call the little children to him. And he said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. If you remember back a few weeks ago, we talked about the story that Jesus told about two people that went up to the temple to pray. There was a Pharisee, who was seen as, as a great religious example and icon, went up to the temple to pray. And if you look in chapter 18, uh, verse 11, it says, The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. And so this Pharisee is seen as one, as Jesus says, he's not justified before God, because he's so full of himself. But the tax collector stood at a distance and would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so the tax collector is welcome into the kingdom of God because of his humility, but this religious leader is not because he's focusing on the shortcomings of everybody else and is unable to see his own. Right after that, Jesus has this situation happen, and Luke shares this. And they're in the same order, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus says, one must become like a child to enter the kingdom of God. And so we can wrestle with what does that mean exactly, but looking at the context, the story that happens before and the story that happens afterwards, is what I see Jesus saying here is that children cannot trust in their own strength, wisdom, or independence to survive. The little kids cannot. Whatever they receive, they received as a gift from parents or from others, and ultimately a gift from God. But what happens as we go along as adults is, is we get strong, we get jobs, we pursue life, and we can look around and say, wow, look at my strength, or look at my wisdom, or look at my wealth, or look at whatever I have, and I'm good with this. Everything that I have, look at what I've made, look at what I've accomplished. And then what happens is we become like that Pharisee that says, wow, look look at all the good stuff that I've accomplished, and I'm glad I'm not like all of those other people there. And Jesus, right on the tails of that story, brings these little children and says, this, this is what I'm looking for right here. These are people that don't look around and say, look at how great I am, look at how amazing I am, I can do everything myself, because everything that is given to them, everything is a gift. They can't find food for themselves, they can't, hold a job down by themselves as, as little kids. We're talking about little, little kids here. Jesus says, that's the type of people that are welcome into my kingdom, those that will have the faith to depend on me and know that all good things come from me. There's a, there's a whole lot of other things that are amazing about this story. Is uh, I wonder what type of persona Jesus had sometimes. 
and I, I read the stories of Jesus and I, I try to put myself sitting at his feet or sitting in the crowd somewhere just wondering how he handled himself and how he carried himself. And one of the things that we see from this story is these little kids apparently broke the protective barrier and were able to come up and to Jesus. And so someone like that is not have a harsh persona that, that runs people off, but Jesus is 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 projecting a a welcomeness that people are the children are even coming to him and, and wanting to be touched by him. That says something about Jesus. You remember the fruit of the Spirit, one of the qualities is gentleness. And Jesus, as a man, projected that, apparently in everything he did. Um, we're going to continue on with a story now that this, this story of Jesus and the children lays the foundation for it. And let's remember, becoming like a child is, is necessary to enter the kingdom of God, meaning we're willing to say God provides everything. I, I'm not, I don't have all this independence. I don't have all this, this, this stuff that I accomplish on my own, but ultimately everything comes from God, and I will walk by faith that way. So let's continue on. Look at these next verses here in verse 18. And I'll read this section, then we'll unpack it. It says, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There is the question. That is the great question. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Just try to visualize that, a camel going through the eye of the needle. We'll get back to that. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all that we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Boy, what an amazing story here. And again, this story is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of the Gospels there. And, and so some include some details that, that Luke doesn't, and, and we'll come back to that. But this guy walks up and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Again, he is, uh, he's sincere, I get the impression, but he's pretty confident that he already knows the answer. And Jesus' response is, he goes a direction to start with that he may not anticipate. He says, No one is good except God. Okay, there's a lot to this, but I believe what Jesus is saying simply is, just like with the children, you enter into the kingdom of God, you must become like this children, this child. Just like the Pharisee was not good because he, just because he thought he was. Jesus is sharing something very important to start with here. He says, no one's good but God alone. Okay, let's just start there. Let's remember that. So don't flatter me, don't call me good, don't, all, don't do all of that. Because God is the only one that is good. No one's good but God alone. But what I, you're called to do, he says, keep the commandments. And he lists several of them there. If you notice, in, uh, if you go back to uh, verse 28, it says, You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Okay, the Ten Commandments, and, and this is a Cliff's Notes version here. The Ten Commandments are divided up. 
there's basically four that have to do, three to four that have to do with God-man relationship. Remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the, the second six deal with interpersonal relationships. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so what Jesus does is he lists off five out of the six interpersonal commandments right there. He leaves out coveting, which we'll come back to here in a bit. But he leaves that off, and he just shares these things. He says, you know what the, 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 the commandments are? Obey those and follow them. And the response of this man, and we find out he's a young man as well, he says, all of those I have kept since I was a boy. Well, let's take a time out here. And this guy, there's a few things that are happening here with this guy. He's loving the discussion so far. But as he comes up, he, he shares, I've, I've kept all these commandments. I've, I've done it. I, I'm, I'm good. I've, I've, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I've done this. I grew up in synagogue. My parents taught me correctly. And I know what it is to, to follow the law. And I have done that since I was a boy. Now, Jesus does not say, well, you have not followed it perfectly, therefore you are a sinner in the need of the grace of God. He doesn't go there. Jesus doesn't go there. Because Jesus knows this guy's heart, maybe knows who he is, maybe his, his intuition from his divine side kicks in, whatever it is. Jesus knows this guy, what really makes him tick. And Jesus says, great, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and come and follow me. Now, there's a whole lot of me right now standing in front of you would wish that Jesus had not said that. Because that puts me in a pretty uncomfortable spot to try to wrestle through what does that mean for me and how am I supposed to walk through this. So there's a couple of different options. Option number one, we can say this is Jesus is giving a command that is a general command that this guy is supposed to follow and all the rest of us are supposed to, be, to do as well. But when we look through Scripture, we see that there are people that God uh, gave wealth to and they used it for, for tremendous things. This is the only time that you see Jesus face-to-face, nose-to-nose with someone say, go and sell everything you have and come follow me. There's people that do that, like when Jesus calls the disciples. But he doesn't say it so poignantly in the same, in the same way. And so here you have Jesus telling this guy, in order to follow me, you've got to sell everything, give to the poor, and then come follow me. Then we're going to talk. Um, I know that when, when we talk about how to become a Christian with people, we talk about faith, we talk about repentance, we talk about baptism. And, that, and I've never sat down at the table with someone and said, okay, in order to become a Christian, what you have to do is go out and sell everything you've got right now, and then we'll talk. I haven't done that, okay? And so my understanding here, looking at the rest of Scripture, what Jesus is doing, it's just like with Abraham. God tells Abraham, take your only son, Isaac, your most beloved son, and go and sacrifice him. He doesn't ask all of us to do something like that. But there's something that we learn from that that is phenomenal, that, that changes all of us when we look at the, the sacrifice of Isaac. And, and, and God, if you don't know the story, God sends an angel to grab his hand there and, and says, don't sacrifice him. There's a ram that's caught in the bushes over there. I'll provide. I just need to show you and maybe show everybody else that you truly have a heart that is committed to me. But we're not all asked to do that. We're asked to 
put God first in our children's lives. We're asked to sacrifice for him. All of that kind of thing. But I've never had an angel come down and say, you need to go sacrifice your only son um, or your, your beloved children, something like that. I think of, of Hosea. How many of you know the, the story of Hosea? Okay. This is, this is an example here. In the Old Testament, God wanted to use Hosea's life as an example for the rest of Israel. And he says, Hosea, go out and marry a prostitute and pick whichever one you want kind of thing. Ugh, you know, really uncomfortable that story makes me. But there's times where God approaches someone with a specific command for them. And I believe that this is one of these situations. Because Jesus knows this guy's heart very, very deeply. And so as he talks with this gentleman, you imagine he's looking around. This gentleman has nice clothes on. There's people that are, that are all around him that are saying, hey, you know, this guy is great. This guy keeps the law. This guy is just a great example for all of us. It's just amazing. This is, one, this is our poster child that we want all of our young men to grow up and to look like this. But Jesus says, Sell everything, and then come follow me. Then we're going to talk. And uh, I believe that Jesus says this here, because it says this man was very wealthy. His heart was broken. Matthew, Mark, so he left at this point in time. And he walks away, and he is, uh, because really deep down, even though he looked great on the outside, all of his... His great, um, all of his his persona and everything was based on the fact that he was really, really wealthy. And you can see that what happens here next is really shocks everybody because it says that sadness overtook this ruler because he did have great wealth. And Jesus says here, and it is hard, and I'll, I'll read it here. He says. Um, Verse 24, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for the camel to go through an eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, there is, um, there's this analogy he uses is pretty humorous, I think, if we think about it. I like this picture up here. Now, there was, during the Middle Ages, a story started circulating that what Jesus is talking about is, he's talking about a there, there was a gate in Jerusalem called the Eye of the Needle. And a camel could get through it, but it had to work really hard and it had to get on its knees to be able to get into the, that, that part of, of, through the wall of Jerusalem. And that gate was called the Eye of the Needle. How many of you have heard that at some point in time? Okay, not, not true. That was a story that came much, much later because I think people wrestled with this story just like we do. It's a whole lot easier to say, okay, yeah, it's, it's doable. It takes some work. It takes some getting your knees scraped up a little bit. But a camel can definitely go through a small gate because it just takes a little bit of effort and work. But that's not Jesus' point here at all. Jesus' point is, take this little needle right here. It's got this little tiny eye. And look at this big camel standing over there. Let's try to put this camel right through the eye of this needle. And people, maybe they chuckle, <laughs> maybe they're un- this uncomfortable chuckle because they realize there's, there's no way that that's going to happen. There's, there's things that we can talk about in our society. It would be something like saying, um, trying, to, uh, trying to get a person from Libby not to wear a flannel shirt. You know, that's just, we do it. That's how we roll. We wear flannel. Um, that's, that's our history. Or, or saying, you know, this would be, uh, a rich person going into heaven would be like trying to get a Grizz fan to use proper grammar. 
or something like that. I'm kidding, Lance. Lance, I'm just messing with Lance. Anyway, hold on. We've got two Grizz fans right over there. No, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll come up with another one later. All right, I'll, I'll redeem myself. So, just, but Jesus is making a point there, a humorous point, that you can't put a camel to the eye of a needle because, and, and rich going into heaven is, is difficult as well. Now, the people would have been scratching their heads saying, well, wait a minute here, wait a minute. Because they had, their perspective was, if a person is wealthy, then they're blessed by God, and if a person is, is suffering on the side of the road and they're a beggar, they must have done something really evil to deserve that. And so this is really messing with their heads right here. And Jesus says, yeah, exactly, it was really hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And he, this isn't the first time he said this. I, I wrote down the other times that Jesus talked about this so far. When Jesus was going to be born, Mary sang, remember? And one of the phrases in that song was, or, or as she spoke, it says, it's turned into a song uh, a lot of times in our, in our world, but going to send the rich away empty. That's one of the, the comments that is there. Jesus makes a comment. He says, woe to you who are rich, when he's talking to the people in the Sermon on the, on the Plain. He talks about the, the parable of the seeds. You guys remember the parable of soil? Different type of seed. The seeds were planted, and the different soils produced different things. And talks about the the thorny soil. He says the deceitfulness of wealth choke it out, making it unfruitful. There's a story of the rich fool that says, "Hey, I've had a good crop. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to take life easy. I'm going to do my thing." And and his life is demanded from him. And Jesus says, "This is how it is if we're not rich towards God." And just uh, here a few weeks ago, we talked about the rich man and Lazarus. That Lazarus sat at the gate of this rich man and, uh, and was poor. And uh, ultimately, Lazarus is the one that ends up blessed because this rich man walked by him and never took care of him, never um, cared about his needs or, or any of that. And so Jesus, this is not the first time that Jesus has pitched this. But it appears to me what Jesus is saying is that wealth is one of those things that can drag us in, that can make us so self-sufficient that we completely forget about God, and by doing so, we are not going to be blessed people at all. There's a, Jesus continues on here, and he explains it a little bit more. As the crowd says, who then can be saved? And we thought all these rich people were the, were the, the greatest among us because there's great, the great blessings. Um, and Jesus says, as he walks through, I'll read verse 26 down through 30. Those who heard him asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. And I imagine Peter, as he is, is thinking and remembering that. Back in Luke 5, you see where Peter did do this. Jesus says, Come follow me. I'm going to make you... You're not going to fish for fish anymore. You're going to fish for people's souls. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And Peter leaves everything to follow Jesus... Peter's remembering that. He says, we've left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. As Peter says, we've left everything to follow you. He says, oh yeah, your reward's going to be great. Did you catch that? Now and later. Not just later, but now and later, your reward is going to be phenomenal. It's going to be great. Let's look at Luke, or Mark chapter 10, where the same story is told by Mark. Mark chapter 10. 
It says, I'll start reading in verse 29, just this last section where Jesus explains some things here. He says, Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children of fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Okay, did you catch what Jesus says right there? He says, No one who gives up everything to follow me will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields. All that. And Jesus is saying, you give up to follow me. I'm going to give you a whole lot more in this age, and I'm going to give you a whole lot more in the next age. And it's going to be awesome. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And so as I read through that, there's, and I've, I've listened to, to podcasts and such where, where people will say, Jesus has said... If we give up for him, then he's going to give us more material blessings than we can ever imagine. It's called the health and wealth gospel, that if we just sacrifice a bit for Jesus, then, then all this material stuff's going to come flowing in, and, and, that's, and, and sometimes that does happen. And I, I, I've seen that. But I believe Jesus' point here is remember how Jesus determines or defines success and how he defines uh, being blessed is very different than the way we do. And just imagine this, as Jesus is saying as he's looking out around these people, that this rich young ruler has just walked off and has given up an opportunity at that point to come and follow Jesus. And I imagine that haunted him. If he was a good man, as he walked away from Jesus, it haunted him. And maybe he was one of those 3,000 that were baptized on Pentecost. And maybe he, he, gave, he was one of those that it says sold properties in order to take care of the ministry and to continue to, to see it flourish there in Jerusalem. Maybe he was one of those. We have no idea. But I guarantee you, he walked away knowing that Jesus had hit him right in the heart. He thought he had everything figured out. He'd kept the commandments. He'd done all those things. But the one big thing that he would not give up was his wealth. So I think about it, I thought about it quite a bit this week as I was pondering and thinking about it, is I try to put myself in the situation where Peter's at. Peter's listening. Peter's watching all of this happen. And Peter remembers. I remember that day when Jesus is out on the boat. And we threw the nets over, and we got this huge catch because Jesus told us to do that. And I told him, Jesus, just get away from me. I'm a sinful man, okay? You are too powerful. You make me really uncomfortable. I'm not digging this. And Jesus says, don't worry. Just come follow me, and you're going to care about souls instead of fish from here out. I've got a plan for you. And I imagine Peter's thinking through that, thinking, wow, I gave up a lot. I gave up all of these things in order to follow Jesus. And he continues on. And, um, and Peter, we, we know his story. He has some bumps and bruises along the way. But you see him re- write First and Second Peter late in life. And he talks about the people that he loves, the people that he's walked through life with, the people that he has, is so fond of. And Peter realized something. When Jesus said, I'm going to give you a hundred times more than you can imagine, if Peter would have just walked along and said, well, I, want, I had one boat before, I want a hundred boats now, he missed the point. 
But what Peter did is he found spiritual brothers and sisters all over the world. He found that wherever he went, there was people that would host him and say, yes, we're excited about the Word of God continuing to spread. Come and stay here. We'll feed you. We'll give you lodging. Just continue to do the good things that you're doing. And Peter went all over and met person after person after person and realized, hey, the great blessings that I have in following Christ, and I have some persecutions, I've got plenty of them, but... It is so much better than sitting by the side of that lake and fishing for the rest of my life. Because what God has called me to do is something much, much greater. And he's writing First and Second Peter with a smile on his face saying, persecution is going to come. But, <laughs> excuse me, but it's like refinement. God's refining. Because Peter had been refined. He knew what that looked like. And he could look around and he could say, I have been given a hundred times more than what I left behind. And I think about, for, for myself, think about the time where, when I became a Christian, how I remember coming to that point saying, all right, I know what the Bible says. <laughs> and as young as I am, I know that I've sinned. I know I have, because I know what I did. And my parents don't know that stuff, and I don't know I can tell them about Hmm... And if I die right now, I'm not sure where I'm going. No, in fact, I'm pretty sure where I'm going. That's not where I want to go. And I don't have everything figured out. And I don't have it all sorted out. And I don't have all of that. But I know that I am in need of the grace of God. And I'm willing to make that commitment right now. And I did. And I was immersed and the sins are washed away. And I have walked in newness of life from then then on. Transformed life. I've had my shortcomings, still have my shortcomings, but I look more like Jesus now than I did then. But I wonder, as this, uh, this rich young ruler, I imagine he had a similar story. Very young in life, he came to a point where he walked, he uh, was taught about the commandments that he went through with the synagogue and deeply spiritual people in his own life, he went through understanding and learning about the God of the Hebrews that had, uh, that had done all these things, brought them out of Egypt and brought them back from slavery again later. And he walked through that and, and he said, I, my life is completely committed to this God. And he, he goes along and, and God has blessed him beyond his wildest imagination financially. And he's just going along in life and doesn't seem to have a problem whatsoever. And he hears about this Jesus guy and he thinks, I'm going to go talk to this guy because I want to see what this is all about. And he goes with his entourage and people that are, that are cooing all over him. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. And the guy's thinking, yeah, that's great. Okay, got it. Done. I've, I've walked that way. I'm a model example. If I wouldn't, then God would not be blessing me with all this wealth. Jesus says, no, there's one thing that you're missing. Go sell everything and give to the poor right now. And this guy realizes, as he in sadness walks away, that yes, even though I have followed God for a long time, even though I have uh, um, been held up as an example, I realize that this man is exactly right that my faith somewhere along the line ceased to be in God and it started being in myself and in the wealth that I have. 
And he's exactly right that until I give it up, then I'm going to be in the same spot I am now and I'm going to be short of the kingdom of God because I'm not approaching God as a child who is in need. And so I think about that. If Jesus were to come down today and I were to tell him my story of how I became a Christian and how I walked through um, and, and the, the things that, that I've seen and God working in my own self, I wonder what Jesus would say, say, great Chris, but you lack this, whatever that thing is. And that's what I would like to leave you with from the scripture today, is think about whatever that thing is. For this guy it was wealth. For the Pharisees it was probably wealth, but it was self-righteousness. There's people that you see all through scriptures. Paul saying his heritage, that's what he, he shares in Philippians. My heritage, my being a, a, a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin, legalistically faultless, all that stuff. My heritage was what ultimately kept me from seeing the kingdom of God and being what God wanted me to be. And it took Jesus humbling me and blinding me to be able to realize that. And so if Jesus came to you today and met you for lunch and said, I'm excited about your path and your journey with God, but this is one thing you lack. Go and what is that thing? And think about that and ponder it and pray about it. And remember the promise of Jesus here is that whatever we have to give up, whatever we have to leave behind in order to follow Jesus, we will be blessed a hundred times more in this life and the next life. And remember, God isn't up there just trying to ruin our fun. God is saying, approach me as a child. Give me everything. And you just watch and see the blessings that I shower down on your head. And that's, a, that's good news. As I pondered through this and wrestled through this, this passage this week, I'm thinking, okay, the gospel is good news. And for us as rich Americans, it, it's easy for us to look at this and say, oh, I'm not sure this is good news. But it is good news. And let's not let whatever surrounds us, whatever our thing is, let's not that, let that be something that separates us from the kingdom of God. If you'd like to become a Christian today or you like prayers of the church, head to the back. The elders are back there waiting to pray with you. Let's stand.